The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 340, broadcasting live Wednesday, March 9th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. On Wednesday nights, we cover gaming. Um, No, we don't. On Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling. And on Thursday nights, we cover gaming and entertainment. Uh, We broadcast live starting usually at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Had to start a little late today, which I'll get into in a few minutes. Uh, Usually, like I said, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. And you can watch, listen, and participate in the live show chat by heading over to mtrlive.com. This show is simulcast on Vaughn Live, Twitch, YouTube Live, and a host of other video services when they decide to work. Audio is simulcast on Mixler as well as also on Blog Talk Radio. So if you're listening via Mixler or Blog Talk Radio, you can enjoy the show that way. Video archives are available on our two YouTube channels, My Take Radio TV and Official Rageworks. Audio can be found on iTunes. Stitcher, and tune in radio, usually within 24 to 48 hours of broadcasting. Like I said, MTR Live is the best way to enjoy the show. We have multiple video players on there, plus an audio-only solution. We did make some slight adjustments to the live page, so there are tabs up top that outline all the different players, and you can listen via Mixler, choose whichever you wish, and mute the rest, so that way you don't have any echoes or overlap. All right, so... Last week, I owed you guys a gaming and entertainment edition of MTR, which fell by the wayside for a couple of reasons. When we wrapped up the show Wednesday night, about 2.30 in the morning, 3 o'clock, as I was editing the video for that show, my internet went down, and, um, you know, we got in touch with Fios, who was our provider, explained to them the situation, but as it turns out, it was a lot more than just resetting the router and unplugging a couple of things. Turns out that it was a host of issues, starting with a splitter that came into my house, 
along with a networking switch as well. They ended up fixing the splitter, and as a result of fixing the splitter, we determined that there was also also a problem with the networking switch. We didn't get to restore internet service at RageWorks HQ until late Sunday evening, and at that point, between releasing last week's episode, which I had contemplated scrapping, but decided to release it along with episodes of TRSS, regular season, uh, the regular season sportscast special episode, which I'm still working on, Black is the New Black. Uh, we were definitely behind the eight ball going into the show this week. Um, you know, lots going on. We are working on some enhancements on RageWorks.net as well to improve everyone's experience. Um, some of you guys have reached out with, you know, certain uh, suggestions and critiques that we are going to be applying for the next incarnation of RageWorks. Uh, before before I forget, just realized my phone is not muted. So don't want that going off during the show tonight. Anyway, so, you know, we managed to get everything up and running. We are working on making some improvements on the site. We're continuing to put out content from Toy Fair 2016. I know that Jay broke down the House of Glory show on his last episode of TRSS. I know that he has a special uh, show that he's working on with Josie's Boy, which we're going to be posting as well, just as a tester for you guys to see if you guys are into it or not. Of course, uh, definitely feel free to reach out to Jay on social media or via the RageWorks fan page or group page and let him know what you think when we release it. All right. So for this week's episode, we got lots to discuss. Obviously we're going to get into UFC 196 and the fallout from that card, both for the winners and the losers. We're also going to get into the week's MMA news, lots of stuff going on there, including Vanderlei Silva participating in a tag team MMA match. Uh, You guys are definitely not going to want to miss that. Uh, We got a Dada 5,000 update. We have the MMA news of the week, of course. On the wrestling side, we are going to get into Raw. I am going to touch a little bit on WWE Roadblock and the wrestling news of the week. Uh, There was also a spoiler with regards to the WWE Hall of Famers, which are being finalized for this year's Hall of Fame induction ceremony. We will get into that. And as always, I will take your calls 347-324-3541-347-324. 3541. If you want to participate, hit option one and Slick will queue you up. You can also use that number and listen to the show that way. Just don't hit option one and you can listen to the show through your Bluetooth headset or through your Bluetooth speakers or in your car, whichever works best for you. You can also do that with the Mixler app if you have it for iOS or Android devices as well. Um, so with that said, let's get this ball rolling and jump into the week's MMA news because, man, oh man, there's definitely lots to cover. Let's get to it. I want to start with UFC 196 only because that's going to be the bigger part of tonight's show. Um, not going to jump around and go down the entire fight card, obviously, as usual. We're going to try and uh, pick and choose some fights that we want to address. 
Um, I did want to obviously discuss, and this is something that, you know, many people were on the fence about, and I want to talk about the women's bantamweight title fight. Uh, we got to watch the fight here at the house. Uh, myself, Andrea, Jimbo Slice came through, and we saw the women's bout and, of course, the main event. I did see the rest of the card on replay, but I do want to, not to say that the other fights weren't memorable, but the bulk of a conversation this evening is going to center on the main event and co-main event because there's so much going on, both leading up to the fight, during the fight, and after the fight, that we really can't ignore so many different facets of what happened. But I want to start with the women's bantamweight fight for a couple of reasons. Obviously, Holly Holm came in. Uh, Many people expected her to come in and walk through Misha Tate. Uh, definitely an extremely competitive fight between both ladies. Uh, they definitely went the distance. Uh, de- it really was a good back-and-forth brawl between both ladies. Obviously, Misha Tate uh, relying on her wrestling and definitely trying to counterpunch as best as she could against Holly Holm. Holly Holm definitely had some really, really solid striking in the first round. Um, with the second round, Misha started to gain some momentum, started to find her range, open up, get comfortable. But then in round three, Holly Holm again went back into it and started relying on her bread and butter, which is her striking. And I got to say that I really, and I'll be 100% honest in saying it, I did not expect the fight to be as competitive as it was. Uh, Considering how easily Misha Tate was dispatched by Ronda Rousey on numerous occasions, Compounded with the fact that Holly Holm easily dispatched Ronda, I felt that Holly Holm was definitely the favorite going into this fight, at least for me. Again, not taking anything away from Misha Tate. Misha Tate has been there before, uh, knows you know knows how to uh, deal with the pressures that are associated with being in a title fight. But it's just one of those things where you get so used to seeing someone lose, especially in such you know dominant fashion, that it's kind of hard to presume that they're going to end up taking the victory, you know, on their, on their, what's essentially their third, I want to say it's their fourth title fight, maybe their third. Um, But the thing that gets me is going into this fight, Misha Tate knew what she had to do going in there. She had really solid strategy. As the fight went into the deeper rounds, uh, Misha Tate really started to put pressure on Holly Holm and when round five started, Misha Tate came out extremely aggressive. And, um, you know, Holly Holm was working the jab, a couple of the kicks, especially. She was working the thigh kick quite a bit. And, um, you know, the thing is, Holly Holm definitely had good takedown defense, at least as best as it was. And, um, you know, what ended up happening was that she ended up going for a sidekick, at which point Misha Tate went into a clinch position and then spun around, took her back. And at that point, you know, she got a hook in, she got the other hook in, and when Holm flipped forward, Tate held on and ended up securing a choke three minutes, 30 seconds in round five uh, to win via rear naked choke for Misha Tate. Um, It really was a, a masterful performance, especially because Misha Tate understood going into this fight especially as we went into the later rounds that the decision could have favored the champion. So she really had to dispatch Holly Holm very, very quickly. And because of that, I think that she, she, you know, paced herself 
adequately. She really put in the the work and she demonstrated that she is capable of not only weathering the storm of, of a very powerful striker, but also taking some very, very smart, calculated risks with regards to how she was going to approach that. I mean, she definitely had stellar cardio going into the going into the later rounds. What, what an abysmal noise that was. Anyway, as I was saying, you know, the thing that got me was the fact that I didn't expect Misha Tate to be as, I, I want to say calculating, only because she she definitely had the grappling advantage going in, and I felt that she was going to utilize that more. She didn't. She mixed it up quite a bit. Um, Holly, obviously a devastating loss for her, and Dana White has already kind of you know elaborated on the fact that it's going to be Misha and Ronda once again. But the thing that gets me, and Jimbo Slice said the same thing when we were discussing it, as did Andrea and countless other people that I discussed the fight with, they said that, you know, Misha Tate shouldn't fight Ronda next. Ronda should fight Holly Holm, and the winner fights Misha Tate, and Misha Tate should have a new a new opponent for whatever it's going to be, UFC 199, UFC. Obviously, UFC 200 is the target. Now, here's a couple of things, and, um, you know, Val, Val says, still hate Misha. um here here's the thing if you if you go to ufc 200 and it's misha tate and ronda okay of course people are going to want to see that and people are going to presume that ronda's going to walk through misha tate win the belt and then or maybe her and holly holm will square off but the thing is that the narrative and the story that's that's tied to these two women is a story that people just don't really care about. Because I'll be honest, when Ronda and Misha Tate are building a fight, Ronda reverts to bitch mode, you know, just being extra extra vicious, uh, you know, in exchanges with Misha Tate. And Misha Tate tries to keep up. And it's it's while it's it's okay to see. It just doesn't feel right. It's it's a different type of buildup versus uh, a buildup of skill. When Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey were approaching their fight, uh, obviously Ronda was trying to be more more the aggressor going in. Holly Holm, you know, she definitely dialed it in at the weigh-ins and and probably got in Ronda's head a little bit. And I think that's one of those things that for for a fighter like Ronda who always comes in looking extra dominant. You know, going into a fight with Misha Tate, she's going to con- she's going to assert that dominance in terms of the build, which is just going to make it a question of, you know, is everyone going to tune in to see Ronda beat Misha and get the belt back or are people genuinely going to tune in to see a legitimate title fight? It's it's a very, you know, it's a very awkward situation not only for the the women involved but also for the UFC. Obviously, they want to get Ronda in there for UFC 200, and Dana White has been very vocal about getting her in there. But he's also kind of thrown it out there that, you know, Ronda's worked very hard, and, you know, she needs a break, and she can she's entitled to come back whenever she wants. You know, all the, all the usual Dana White shill maneuvers that we know Dana White for. Now, the way I see it, and, and this is from a legitimate perspective, Statistically, and in just from an MMA math perspective, let me rephrase that, Ronda should fight Holly Holm, winner fights 
Misha Tate. Now, the problem is that we don't have that many events until UFC 200. You want to make UFC 200 a marquee event. You want all the titles defended, and you want to put on the most exciting stellar fights possible. Number one, because you want to make a fuckload of money. Number two, you want to reinforce the fact that you know UFC 100 was special. UFC 200 is going to be even more amazing, and you're going to need the fights that are going to get not only the diehards interested in tuning in, but the casual fans as well, because obviously the casual fans, your whole goal is to convert them to longtime fans. I mean, would I love to see Ronda and Holly Holm square off beforehand with the winner fighting Misha Tate at UFC 200? Absolutely. Now, again, we don't really know the mindset that Ronda Rousey is in, Um you know, when she was notified that Misha Tate won, she wasn't even watching the fight. She was, I believe, at an Evolve wrestling event or at a wrestling event. Uh, Evolve may be correct. It may not. But in any case, she she said, you know, time to get back to work. Now, a lot of people took that as, you know, Ronda took the time off because she didn't want to go back to fight Holly Holm. But she's going to jump at the chance to come back and fight Misha Tate because it's, quote unquote, an easy fight. I don't. You know, I think that it's a different ball game now. I think um, Misha Tate's confidence level is at an all-time high, defeating the woman who dispatched Ronda Rousey. I don't think it's going to be as as much of a cakewalk as Ronda would like to think going into this fight. I, I you know, I, I'm sure I'm mistaken, but I just feel that that is definitely not going to be what what the outcome is going to be if they fight once again. I mean, I could be wrong, but. I think it's a different ball game, both from a mental perspective for Ronda, but also from a momentum perspective for Misha Tate. I mean, there's there's a different there's a different narrative at play here. You know, Ronda is I don't want to say she's the wounded animal, but she's definitely not in the same you know killer instinct mindset that she was previously. And and of course, there's a lot of psychological stuff at play, which you know she's addressed in countless interviews. And many fighters have made it a point to reference as of late. But the way I see it is, if you're going to fight, you're you, you know you're going to fight one way or the other. There should be no excuses. It should be two healthy, two healthy, complete athletes going in there to prove who's better. It shouldn't be a question of you know psychologically I'm in it or not in it. It it, it really at that point doesn't matter. When that cage door closes, it's you and the opponent. Training camps don't mean anything. Uh, you know, none of that matters. The fact is that Ronda Rousey jumped at the chance to jump in there to fight Misha Tate again because psychologically she feels it is the easier fight. Like Jimbo Slice just said, Ronda has Misha's card. It's true. I think Ronda feels that it's an easier it's an easier way to get her belt back and get to the top. But given her performance against Holly Holm, I just don't feel the same way as I did going into this. I think it's a different Misha Tate, and honestly, it's a different Ronda Rousey. And sure, you know, she may come in, she may beat Misha again and get her belt back, but the fight that matters right now is her avenging the loss against Holly Holm. As much as people want to see Ronda be champion, you know, I have to agree with, with you know, many of the people I've I've discussed these these, you know, last couple of months with and they you know we all say the same thing she needs to fight holly home she needs to beat holly home and that's that period you know going go taking the path of quote-unquote least resistance 
and fighting and fighting Misha Tate, while yes, it may get her the gold quicker, it just it just doesn't come off as the right course of action. But then again, you know, I'm a guy behind a microphone. The fuck do I know? But um, either way you slice it, I'm excited to see where where this division goes. I mean, there's a lot of talented women in this division, a lot of dangerous women. You know, you still got Kat Zingano out there trying to get herself back into title contention, which obviously she is owed a title opportunity. You know, you got the Misha Tate, Holly Holm narrative that's still playing out, which, you know, Holly Holm has already been very verbal about fighting Misha Tate again as soon as possible. She wants to get in there as soon as possible and fight her again. You know, who maybe maybe we'll get the rematch before that and the winner fights Ronda at UFC 200. You know, I think that at the end of the day, you're going to need the women's bantamweight title defended at UFC 200. It's just a matter of choosing which which woman is going to face Misha Tate for that card and how much money is it going to take to get Ronda to come out of her self-imposed exile to go to get into the cage with Misha Tate. Because, yes, she said, yeah, it's time to get back to work or whatever she said to Dana White. But again, there's there's a different there's a different psychology there. And I'm curious to see how it's going to pan out. So the next couple of weeks definitely, definitely are going to be very, very interesting. Uh, a couple of comments from the chat. Val says Misha probably requested Ronda as her next opponent to prove she's finally better. Misha's still salty that Ronda broke her arm. Val adds, I don't think it'll be that easy, especially since before Holly, Misha came real close. And I hate Misha, but her new camp definitely brought her game up. I definitely, I can agree with what Val said. Her her camp is definitely a lot better. Uh, a lot, A lot of improvements were shown in this fight, but... The real question is, you know, the mental, the, you know, you could do as many training camps as you want, hit the bag, be effective, get all your takedowns, do what you got to do. But the mental portion is where we get, we're going to see, you know, who is the most dominant female in that division. All right. So let's get into this welterweight bout. Of course, Conor McGregor coming in, going up two weight classes to face uh, Stockton's own Nate Diaz. An incredible amount of buildup in a short amount of time led to a very, very, very gutsy performance. Um, and the thing is, I see uh, Jimbo Slice. What I don't understand is why Cyborg is not in the mix or in the hunt. Uh, you know what? I'll answer that. couple of reasons. Cyborg did not want to fight at the 140-pound weight class. She originally wanted to fight Ronda at the, uh, excuse me, she wanted to, she could, Cyborg said she couldn't make 135, she wanted to do a fight at 140, uh, Ronda Rousey said that the, you know, she's the champion, and she's the champion at 135, and Cyborg can make 135, now the thing is that Cyborg was gonna do a cut to 135 and take a fight in Invicta at 135, and then if she was able to do the cut, and win her fight, she was going to fight Ronda, and they were going to do the super fight. Um, that fight is still out there. There's still an opportunity. I mean, Invicta is part of the UFC to a point, and the U- and it's been said that Cyborg has a UFC contract, and because of that, she definitely has a claim to fight in the UFC. The problem is that making the weight is a big issue, on top of the fact that you know, there's always that concern that if they set up the fight and she doesn't make weight, 
or, you know, something goes wrong or maybe, you know, she tests positive for for any juice. There's there's that as well. I mean, she's been clean. She's been tested randomly for her last couple of fights and it's been fine. But I definitely agree that Cyborg has a case to make as well in terms of fighting for for the title. But the problem is Cyborg needs to make that one hundred and thirty five pound weight limit and given her frame and the quote-unquote inability to make the weight consistently, I think the UFC is just afraid of getting egg on their face if they they opt to go that route. I, I mean, I agree. Cyborg has a very strong case to fight. Holly Holm deserves an, a rematch. Ronda deserves a rematch uh, with Holly Holm. Like I said, it's a very, very interesting time. Uh, that's for damn sure. Uh, going into the welterweight bout, like I said, Nate Diaz taking the fight on short notice. Um, really stepped it up in, in 10 days and, and got people interested. Everybody was talking shit. There were near melees at every press conference between uh, McGregor and Diaz, and it just continued. <laughs> I am not acknowledging that. Um, you, the, the thing is, Nate Diaz did a masterful job of building interest for this fight on short notice, as did Conor McGregor. Uh, the fight itself, Diaz came in three inches taller, had a two-inch reach on McGregor. Uh, McGregor looked really good, uh, definitely good good boxing, good striking on his part, but Diaz was working that Stockton slap, and it's funny because the week prior when I was talking about this fight, I said that Nate Diaz's Stockton slap has never been known to have any pop or you know knock anyone out, but it seems that the added weight definitely helped it definitely uh stung mcgregor a little bit especially in that second round um diaz fought very smart used the striking to set up um a takedown and from there into a rear naked choke it was really masterful jujitsu from nate diaz it was you know a, a solid performance from mcgregor and um nate diaz is the man nate diaz can write his own fucking ticket um based on on the fact that he defeated the remaining golden boy of the UFC. Now, this is where we're going to get into some stuff that people people I'm sure are going to message me and be annoyed about. Um I like Conor McGregor. He is a he is an exciting fighter. He is great for the sport. He gets people interested, he gets people hype, he gets people involved. Love him or hate him, he does a great job. I'm also a fan of the Diaz brothers. I've talked about that on numerous shows. I enjoy the tenacity and just the way that they present themselves. It's like they come in, they punch the clock, they fuck you up, and they leave. And sometimes, yes, they're, they're, they're head cases, they're, they're interesting individuals, they're, they're polarizing to many fans, but the fact is that the Diaz brothers are martial artists. They, they are, you know, they, you know, they're, they're a throwback. They're a throwback to the fighters of old that would come in, they're not there to be role models. They're not there to sell t-shirts. They're there to get, they're there to fuck people up, get money, and that's it. And yes, there, there is a level of showmanship that is there, but I think that for, for many fighters, that level of showmanship is either ingrained in their DNA or not. It's something you cannot manufacture. You can't manufacture 209. You can't, you can't manufacture Stockton. You can't manufacture that chip on the shoulder. That, that take no prisoners attitude that, you know, you're going to punch me in the face. I'm going to give you the finger and then I'm going to punch you in the face twice. You can't, you can't create that 
you know, with the UFC marketing machine. The same thing with Conor McGregor. Even though Conor McGregor wears the fancy suits and, you know, wears the, the snakeskin loafers, you can't, you can't fake that shit. You know, the guy knows how to sell fights. The guy knows how to go out there and be entertaining. It's, it's, you know, we, we joke about this, you know, off air that the UFC is, is, uh, is more like WWE than people would like to admit. And it's true. You know, the UFC has their prized fighters that they want to manufacture into being these, you know, these larger than life personas that are able to transcend, um, you know, mainstream appeal and become something bigger, something better. And, and that's right. There, there's, de- there's definitely, a, a, a you know, a bright side to that with guys like Conor McGregor, with guys like, um, you know, GSP, um, even John Jones or uh, Chael at one point when Chael was there, Anderson Silva, some of these guys, they don't need the marketing hype behind them because they can sell the fights either based on ability or based on trash talking. When it comes to this particular fight between Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, there were no losers. I'll be honest, and I'll tell you why. There were no losers. For Conor McGregor, it was an opportunity to show that he was willing to go to great lengths to fight anyone, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, and cement his place in history. For Nate Diaz, it was an opportunity to show that he's more than just Nick Diaz's little brother or the guy with the chip on his shoulder. He he showed that there's there's more to him, and even to, to the Caesar Gracie camp, there's more to that camp than just, you know, weed and middle fingers and trash talking. There's there's more to it. And like I said, there were no real losers in this fight. Yes, Conor McGregor lost. Okay, he lost. Still champion, still made a fuckload of money. Went up two weight classes, didn't, you know, took it in stride, delivered some really awesome post-fight commentary across various channels. Um, you know, he gave Nate his due, he accepted his loss and he kept it moving. For Nate Diaz, this was also an amazing opportunity. He got himself a money fight, made a shitload of it, made a shitload of money, uh, not more than Conor McGregor, and I'll get into that, but still a nice amount of money, and he put himself on the map. He wrote his own ticket. It wasn't the UFC hype machine. It was middle fingers and telling people to go fuck themselves that made people invested in Nate Diaz going in. Uh, You know, the Diaz brothers are scrappy dudes, and there's so many opportunities right now um, you know, people are talking about Nate Diaz and Robbie Lawler, something that people weren't even talking about three, three weeks ago. Hell, the people weren't even talking about it three months ago. Uh, you know, there's rumors of GSP coming back at UFC 200 and people are saying maybe Nate Diaz and GSP since Nick Diaz obviously is still suspended. There's, there's so many, there's so many scenarios now after the outcome of this fight that it makes you, it makes you look at it. And really ask yourself, nobody, there were no losers. Obviously, there was in terms of win, you know, records. But in terms of just the future, Nate Diaz wrote his own ticket. Conor McGregor still has a lot of fights at 145 he can handle, you know. And he can still do the super fight with Rafael Dos Anjos if he, if he decides to. But think about it. Frankie Edgar's waiting down there. Jose Aldo is waiting down there. Hell, Jose Aldo's been on social media talking about taking the fight at UFC 200 and getting his rematch then. And it's funny because, you know, McGregor was like, dude, you know, you're the first guy that said you would fight anytime, any place, anywhere. And when you got the phone call, you didn't step up. So, you know, there was obviously some shit talking 
thrown Jose Aldo's way. And you could make a case for that, that, you know, he's right, he's wrong. Uh, for me personally, I think that Jose Aldo should have jumped on that, on that opportunity, come in, especially with McGregor not, you know, not prepared to fight him at this point. Maybe he would have been the one to upset and redeem himself. But it's it's a scenario we may never know. But again, this was a great coming out party for Nate Diaz and for Stockton and for that camp. Uh, really, you know, they outdid themselves in terms of execution, build up, and even afterwards. Like I said, this guy, Nate Diaz, is now being looked at as a potential challenger for Robbie Lawler at, you know, at 170. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Not 170, 185. No, 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 170. Sorry, 170. 185 is uh, Luke Rockhold. Again, you know, it, it creates a lot of compelling matchups at 170 for Nate Diaz. Hell, a fight between Nate and GSP. Again, a lot of great storytelling there. GSP defeated his brother. The Diaz brothers aren't fans of GSP. There's there's in, there's an incredible amount of storytelling there. Uh, you know, you, you have a legend, uh, a bona fide Hall of Famer stepping in. Fighting Nate Diaz, there's a lot of money there. UFC 200 is huge. Um, you know, it, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, Jimbo Slice says, "Lost all respect for Aldo. He said he should shut the fuck up." You know, it's funny. He, you're not the only person to say that. A lot of people were like, you know, Jose Aldo dictated a lot of terms when he fought Conor McGregor. Talked a lot about we can fight wherever, we can fight whenever. And you know, when the phone rang, he was quote unquote out of shape. You know, I don't I don't know what that means, but he was out of shape. Um, Val says casuals actually thought Connor was dominating because he made Nate bleed. <laughs> you know what the funny thing was? Connor McGregor had really good striking and he was he was throwing out a lot of power. He was throwing some really good power shots. They just, you know, Nate Diaz is a guy who's been in the cage for a long time. He ate those shots like nothing. And at the end of the day, it was it was all about executing and don't get me wrong, McGregor had a solid game plan going in. Nate Diaz just had a better plan. That's all. Anyway, let's get into the other MMA news. I want to I wanna definitely talk about Raw. I see you guys are popping in the chat. Um, if you guys see my eyes shifting back and forth, I got these new <laughs> widescreen monitors. So, you know, I got the chat on one window and the notes on another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's talk about fight bonuses. $50,000 bonuses were handed out. Nate Diaz took a $50,000 bonus. Misha Tate took a $50,000 performance bonus. Fight of the night honors, of course, went to Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor. Uh, the Nevada State Athletic Commission released uh, the salaries for UFC 196. The entire payroll for the card was $2,871,000. MMA Junkie published that. Um, one thing to note that the figures I'm about to give you guys do not include deductions for insurance licenses or taxes they also don't include money paid by sponsors including Reebok sponsorship pay or any locker room or discretionary bonuses that the UFC sometimes pay these are raw numbers all right so for the Nate Diaz Conor McGregor fight Nate Diaz made $500,000 Conor McGregor walked away from that fight on the losing end but still made $1 million dollars misha tate walked away with ninety two thousand dollars which included a forty six thousand dollar win bonus and she defeated holly Holm, who made five hundred thousand going into that fight um alir latifi made fifty thousand that included his twenty five thousand dollar win bonus against gia volante 
Uh, Corey Anderson, who took on Tom Lawler. Uh, Anderson walked away with $40,000. That included a $20,000 win bonus to Tom Lawler's $28,000. Uh, Amanda Nunez and Valentina Shevchenko was the opener for the main event, uh, for the main card. Amanda Nunez walked in with 50, walked out with $56,000. That included a $28,000 win bonus. Uh, Shevchenko walked out with $14,000. Uh, CR the Killer took on Brandon Thatch. Uh, CR walked out with $38,000. That included a $19,000 win bonus. Uh, Brandon Thatch walked out with $22,000. Couple of things. Even though we talk about fighter pay quite a bit on this show, you know, the, the, the difference between the pay that boxers are getting and mixed martial artists are getting is insane. Um, Jimbo Slice and I, you know, him being a, a boxing aficionado, you know, I've, he, I've, I've picked up a little bit. I've learned a little bit about the sport, just, you know, hearing him talk about it and, you know, acknowledging certain fighters. And I see certain things, but the numbers that are coming out of boxing in comparison to what mixed martial artists are getting are so far off. And I mean, you know, that's not to say that mixed martial artists don't deserve better pay. But when you're talking about guys like Conor McGregor walking out with a million dollars and everybody's just like, oh, my God, you know, a million dollars. You know, you're talking about guys, you know, and Jimbo Slice brought this to my attention. Lower tier boxers are walking out with that money, if not more. Again, you know, I don't want to I don't want to misspeak, you know, because I'm not I'm not I don't know boxing that well. But I've seen some boxing salaries, and it's it's nothing compared to what the UFC makes. And on top of that, what Val said, there's also pay-per-view residuals as well. Uh, depending on the deals, there are some mixed martial artists that have, um, you know, pay-per-view cuts in their contract. I believe John Jones was one, GSP was one, Anderson Silva might have been another. Again, those are those are special types of deals that are in place. But again, you got to look at that. Nate Diaz walked out of that fight with $500,000 to Conor McGregor's million. That's not to say that Nate, that, that it's the most money Nate Diaz has seen, but it's definitely a shitload of money. That's not even counting, you know, Reebok sponsorship pay, uh, so, you know, side sponsorships that Nate Diaz has and Conor McGregor has. I, these guys, you know, they came away with a lot of money. Obviously, you still got to pay your training camp, your partners, uh, you know, insurance taxes, et cetera, et cetera. But Still, you know, there was there was a lot of money to be made. And I think that in a situation like this with Nate Diaz, where he took the fight on short notice, you know, there, the money definitely needs to be addressed with regards to how, how much he's been paid, because it's been something that has been an issue with the Diaz camp for quite some time. So we're definitely going to be keeping an eye on that in the coming weeks. So I did want to talk about, um, you know, Conor McGregor. He um, he put out a statement on Instagram with regards to his loss to Nate Diaz. He said, I stormed in. I put it all on the line. I took a shot and I missed. I will never apologize for taking a shot. Shit happens. I'll take this loss like a man. I will not shy away from it. I will not change who I am. If another champion goes up two weights, let me know. If you're tired of me talking money, take a nap. I'll still be here when you wake up with the highest pay-per-view and the highest gate. Still talking multiple sevens. He went on to add, thank you to the true support and fuck the hate that came out of the woodwork. I love it all. It's still steak for breakfast. I've been here many times in my life in some form or another. I'll eat it all and come back stronger. He went on to add, Aldo, you are a pussy. Dos Anjos, you are a pussy. When the history books are written, I showed up 
you showed up on Twitter to the fans. Never shy away from challenges. Never run from adversity. Face yourself head on. Nate, I will see you again. Uh, definitely, again, really, really powerful words out of, out of Conor McGregor. Powerful words out of Nate Diaz as well. Nate Diaz silencing all the critics, silencing all the quote-unquote haters going in. Uh, like I said, it was a, it was a very, very impactful night for both fighters. And it's, it's going to be exciting to watch as UFC 100, uh, UFC 200, uh, starts to take shape. Val said, uh, Nate said he was supposed to get another half mil if he won. You never know, Val. I mean, again, I'm talking about the amounts I just gave you guys are amounts published by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Uh, credit to MMA Junkie for that. But um, there's definitely other money there, discretionary bonuses, etc. So there may there may be another five hundred thousand out there. Like I said, you know the numbers I got are raw numbers without those other numbers being considered. Again, if I hear anything else, I will definitely let you guys know. According to Combate, sources in the UFC are close to putting together Anderson Silva versus either Gegard Mousasi or Tim Kennedy for his next fight which could take place at UFC 198. Now, honestly, Anderson Silva would probably fare better and generate more interest uh, fighting Gegard Mousasi, even though he's incredibly boring. Not to take anything away from Tim Kennedy, but again, Anderson Silva is still a very powerful draw. I still stand by the fact that you could do an Anderson Silva GSP fight for UFC 200 if GSP is really interested in fighting. I, I mean, there's no belts on the line, but it's still a fight that can generate a lot of interest. Uh, you can compete. You can make the fight at 185. You can make the fight at 170, whichever is easier. But I definitely think that if you're going to do something special with Anderson Silva, considering that regardless of what his contract states, I feel that his career is on a very, very limited thread, that I would try and maximize the fights that I can get out of a guy like Anderson Silva and stop, you know... It, Unless you're trying to groom him for another title run, maybe he wants to take those big fights. You know, a fight with GSP would be good. A rematch with Nick Diaz would be good. Uh, you know, opportunities like that would definitely get people talking versus putting him in there with a guy like Gegard Mousasi or a guy like Tim Kennedy. Again, not to take anything away from either of those guys, but we are looking at a guy who is still going to be a UFC Hall of Famer and who is running on a very, very borrowed clock we'll see what happens either opponent i'm sure is is you know is gonna generate some buzz but if you're trying to do something big with anderson silva i would probably save it for ufc 200 versus some sort of throwaway fight at ufc 198 or 99 we'll see what happens the ufc is heading to croatia in april and ufc fight night 86 has taken quite you know, it's become quite a solid card over the last couple of weeks. Junior Dos Santos taking on Ben Rothwell. Uh, Gabriel Gonzaga was scheduled to take on Ruslan Magomedov. Unfortunately, Magomedov suffered an injury, and Gonzaga will be getting a new opponent. Um, again, the card overall, a lot, of, a lot of European and Croatian fighters on the card. Some of these guys I know, some of them I don't. But um, looking forward to seeing Dos Santos and Ben Rothwell square off. A lot of people are saying that this may be a title contender match. We'll see what happens. I mean, Rothwell has been making a strong case over the last couple of months, I think, with a win over the always dangerous Junior Dos Santos. will definitely cement him as the next contender in the heavyweight division. But again, Dos Santos is a guy that can come in there and put your lights out 
like that in the blink of an eye. So who knows? Either way, somebody's definitely going to sleep in that match. Morta says, if GSP comes back, GSP versus Anderson, people have been waiting for that fight for a while anyway, but he probably won't come back. You know what the thing is, Mortis? Um, GSP was at the UFC 196 card, and there there have been rumors that he did meet with Dana White, and he was looking at fighting at UFC 200, whether it's because he needs money or because he misses the sport. I, I, I got to agree. I think the fight that fans are going to want to see are him and Anderson Silva more than anything. I mean, like I said, him and Nate Diaz, you know, GSP and Nate Diaz, GSP and, and most of these guys. I mean, even if you were to do GSP and Robbie Lawler, which is a fucking terrible idea. Terrible. Um, the fact is that, you know, GSP is still a draw. And I think a fight with him and Anderson Silva is still a fight that's on many people's radar, including yours truly. I would I would tune in to see that fight in a heartbeat only because there's you're talking about two legends any way you slice it whether you love gsp or you hate him or you love anderson silva or you don't the fact is that the contributions these guys have brought to the sport cannot be ignored and we you know we've all wondered it all of us we've all said you know who who is the best pound for pound fighter on the planet and yes you know you can make cases for for all the current champions but i'm talking about the guys that have been staples of the ufc like when you talk about the sport 10 years from now and you talk about that list of top 10 fighters in the UFC, GSP and Anderson Silva are some of the first, you know, are probably the first two names that come to mind along legends, you know, like Chuck Liddell, uh, Randy Couture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Again, it's a fight I'd love to see. I would, I would be pumped to see that fight. That's for sure. Uh, Val says GSP would lay and pray on Anderson Silva. You know what it is, man? I would really like to think that, but we don't even know what GSP's been doing while he's been off. I mean, I've seen him doing a lot of gymnastics. Uh, he likes to put up a lot of gymnastics videos, but, um, you know, he was working the boxing with, with Freddie Roach. His hands were pretty good at that time. Obviously, not on cal- not on the caliber of any of, uh, any of a boxer, but definitely solid, that's for sure. I mean, you're talking about a guy who broke Josh Koscheck's orbital bone with just a jab. Something something to definitely keep in mind, that's for sure. As I mentioned, JDS and Ben Rothwell are scheduled to square off at UFC Fight Night 86, but UFC heavyweight champion Fabricio Verdum will be squaring off against Stipe Miocic at UFC 198 May 14th. That's happening in Brazil. Obviously, we were expecting the return of Cain Velasquez from the back surgery, but it has, you know, his recovery is still in progress. So Stipe will get the opportunity and square off against Fabricio Verdum. Uh, Vitor Belfort is the co-main facing Ronaldo Jacare Souza. Again, a very solid fight, that's for sure. Uh, Matt Brown, Damian Maya, Patrick Cummins is going to be taking on Antonio Rogerio Nogueira. Uh, Nate Marquardt is also on that card. Yancey Medeiros is on that card. Again, solid card, UFC 198 uh, from, you know, coming, coming, emanating from Brazil. Uh, for Doom and Stipe, very solid fight. I think that it's, it, it, that's one of those fights that's a coin flip. Uh, from the ground perspective, obviously Fabricio Verdum has the upper hand, but, um, Stipe, in terms of stand up, his stand up is very solid, very powerful as knockout power. And, um, you know, I'm sure that Kane, Kane is going to get an opportunity in the future. I'd love to see Kane get in there and mix it up with Verdum and, you know, get revenge for that really, really lopsided 
loss that he took against Verdum a while back. But unfortunately, obviously, you know, Kane Kane is not the most durable dude. I mean, the injuries that he sustained and, and they're just cons- constantly coming up makes it makes him a, a fighter that you you got to tread lightly with. You know, you got to put that guy in a padded room if you're going to have him challenge for the belt because he gets injured at the drop of a hat. Like I said, I'd love to see him in there getting his revenge on JDS and being top of the food chain. I like Cain Velasquez. I think Cain Velasquez is a very marketable fighter, uh, an, an incredible athlete, but again, just a guy that's so injury prone as of late. It, it's it's tough to want to put him in that in that high profile position. We'll see what happens. I mean, you know, we got Cain waiting in the wings. Uh, Arlovsky and Overeem are making strong cases to challenge for the heavyweight title as well. Rothwell and JDS as well. There's there's definitely contenders and fights to be made. Um, there's also the rumor of you know a certain last emperor who who currently is is fighting for Ryzen who may be eligible for uh, free agency after I believe his, one or two more fights. So there is that as well. Fedor Fedor in the UFC is going to happen. I'm telling you guys uh, right now. March 10th, 2016, Fedor in the UFC will happen. It's not a matter of if, more so a matter of when. Val says, Vitor is going to go to Japan and get stem cells injected into him to dodge doping tests. (laughs) Well played, sir. Well played. So we've covered UFC 198. We've covered Fight Night. Obviously, UFC 199 has a couple of fights already um, announced. We got Luke Rockhold defending his middleweight title against Chris Weidman and the rematch between Dominic Cruz and Uriah Faber. Of course, uh, they will be meeting for the third time. That's going down June 4th. And, um, it, that, that's big, man. That's a, that's a solid, those are two solid title fights going into UFC 199. Uh, Rockhold and Weidman, obviously, there's, a lot. There's a lot on the line there. Obviously, Wadman with trying to get revenge for the loss. Rockhold trying to cement his legacy as middleweight champion and trying to also get the most high-profile fights possible. I'm shocked that they waited to do this fight at 199 and not for 200, but we shall see what happens. But Cruz and Uriah Faber, even though uh, Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw would have been good in terms of a rematch, there's too much history. There's too much beef. And there's too much of a great story between Dominic Cruz and Uriah Faber for you not to let those guys go one more time. I mean, I think this is going to be the last opportunity for Uriah Faber to win some gold. Uh, You know, he's not getting any younger. Not to take anything away from Faber. Faber's an incredible athlete, incredibly marketable, extremely business savvy. But I think that this is going to be the last opportunity for him, especially in terms of the, the animosity between him and Dominic Cruz being a selling point. It's something that's always been there. It's something that will definitely continue to draw. But if if Faber doesn't win this time out, you know, I think I think it might be, you know, we may start seeing the the end of the line for the California kid. Again, UFC one ninety nine goes down June fourth in Los Angeles. So it's not often that I that I get some what the fuck MMA news, but it's definitely happening this week. <laughs> definitely happening this week. Uh, Mortis in the chat says Fedor goes to the UFC. Randy Couture comes out of retirement. 
hey, it could happen. Fedor versus Couture, nine years in the making. You know what the funny thing is? That would have happened if Randy and the UFC didn't have such a huge fallout. I mean, that's not to say that money can't fix everything. It can, but, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was said, a lot of issues between uh, The Natural and Dana White. I don't know. I mean, it could happen, but uh, it would it would be tough, man. I mean, I'd still love to see that. That's a fight we've talked about. Hell, that was the cover of EA Sports MMA uh, when it first came out. How, obviously, Randy Couture in there with Fedor. Who knows, man? I'd love to see it, but we're just going to have to take and wait, a wait-and-see approach. Anyway, as I was saying, what the fuck MMA news for this week? You guys won't believe this. Uh, Ra- Vandalay Silva, who many of you know signed a contract with Bellator, has signed a contract with Ryzen MMA and will be fighting on the April 17th show in Nagoya, Japan. Okay, seems pretty normal, right? Ryzen announced that they have signed Silva to a multi-year promotional contract and he will fight, get this, in a special grappling tag match with a partner to be determined and he will be squaring off against Kazushi Sakuraba and Hideo Tokoro. Uh, the rules for the tag match have not been announced yet. Uh, but it is a tag team special grappling match. It's, (laughs) listen, I'm a huge Vanderlei Silva fan. Uh, you know, his issues with the commission obviously were, were, were huge and led to his departure from the UFC. We know that Bellator already signed him to a deal, but to go to Japan and, and do this tag team grappling match. You're talking about one of the scariest guys in MMA going and doing freak show matches um, in Japan. I don't know, man. I mean, like I said, Vandalay signed a contract with Bellator. He can fight in Japan, obviously, since it's outside of the jurisdiction of the Association of, you know, of Boxing Commissions. And the three-year suspension by the Nevada State Athletic Commission will not be impacted. But seriously, going to Japan and participating in tag team grappling. I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. It is, uh, it is fucking crazy. That's for sure. The next bit of news. I mean, we've, we've heard about mixed martial artists being involved in dancing with the stars, uh, Chuck Liddell, Randy Couture, but to hear an active UFC fighter participating in the show is a little weird. Uh, TV line reported that for season 22 of ABC's Dancing with the Stars, Paige Van Zant will be heading onto the stage to compete in Dancing with the Stars, obviously joining the likes of Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture. Um, I don't know what to say to that. I mean, you know, Paige Van Zandt is a, a promising talent, even though she was dispatched rather viciously by Rose Nama Yunus, doesn't mean that she still does not have a viable stock, doesn't have viable stock in the UFC. Uh, I think, you know, she has she has a lot of potential, but... I think she got too much too soon. Again, the marketing machine putting all their eggs in one basket. Um, Dancing with the stars. (laughs) It is what it is. Uh, Don't know when that season is supposed to start, but if you guys are interested in that, I will give you guys a premiere date as soon as I get it. All right, last two bits of MMA news to wrap things up. As you guys remember, a couple of weeks back, I said that Chris Lieben was coming out of retirement to fight for Bellator. Unfortunately, that comeback has been derailed due to a severe medical condition that was discovered that had him receiving 18% of his of the normal blood flow 
to only, well, let me rephrase that. He was only receiving 18% of blood flow to his heart, which is insane. Um, you know, he signed in Bellator with Bellator in February in the hopes of, of returning to the cage this spring after retiring in 2013. Uh, he underwent some physicals to get ready for that comeback and failed several EKG tests, which led to the abnormality in the left ventricle of his heart. Um, you know, they're estimating, as I said, that the blood flow through the heart is only 18% of what is considered normal. Um, obviously, they gave him a bunch of, of drugs and, you know, they wanted to try and work on getting him on a managed care plan to avoid any sort of, uh, according to what the doctor and Chris Lieben's team said, a catastrophic cardiac event. Uh, as of right now, the options that they're looking at is possibly a heart transplant or maybe maintaining it with uh, medication and a healthy diet. Uh, definitely a tough break for Chris Lieben. Uh, Lieben, of course, longtime MMA veteran, uh, going all the way back to the original Ultimate Fighter, uh, a brawler, a guy who go out there and bleed for anyone. Also the guy that pretty much welcomed Anderson Silva to the UFC uh, with his face. But Lieben, Lieben was always a wild guy to, to watch fight, uh, very exciting uh, right up there with Diego Sanchez, you know, the guys, I, you know, he falls into that genre, you know, the just bleed fighters, the guys that don't give a shit, go out there and just get the shit kicked out of them. They win, they lose, but it's always a sight to see. Um, very disheartened to hear that. I mean, hopefully, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't turn into something more serious, but um, it's unfortunate. I mean, Lieben, Lieben definitely was looking forward to coming back. A lot of people were saying that, you know, he was he was definitely going to do do something big in Bellator. I mean, considering that it was a, you know, kind of a reboot for his career, unfortunately derailed due to health issues. Uh, definitely wish Chris Lieben a speedy recovery. Hopefully with medication, he can he can live a long life. All right. So last bit of MMA news to wrap things up involves WWE's Mauro Ronaldo, who many of you know, as the voice of mixed martial arts for Strike Force, also the voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling and countless other promotions, has another job to add to his busy schedule. Access TV, which many of you know is the network that broadcasts Inside MMA, announced that Mauro Ronaldo will join Inside MMA as the new host of the show alongside the legendary Boss Rutan. Kenny Rice will go and work. He's going to be working in the field now. And Morrow and Boss will be the hosts of Inside MMA. Uh, this is not going to impact Morrow's commitments to WWE as SmackDown is taped on Tuesdays and Inside MMA has a completely different broadcasting schedule. Uh, definitely really cool to hear that. I think Morrow Ronaldo um, is a great addition to the team. I think he has great chemistry with Boss. And as I said, this will not impact his work on SmackDown. Uh, he will be joining Inside MMA on the March 25th edition of the show. So kudos and congrats tomorrow on the new gig. Uh, definitely love his work on SmackDown and looking forward to seeing him and Boss mix it up on Inside MMA. Anyway, with that bit of news, we are going to bring this week's MMA segment to a close. Uh, definitely running a little late this week, uh, but we're going to shift gears and we're going to jump right into this week's wrestling news, Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. We're going up today. Take it down every night. Take 
All right, so I want to talk about Raw this week. Uh, Raw was very interesting. Obviously, they were using it to build towards WWE Roadblock, which goes down this Saturday on the WWE Network. Uh, there were a couple of things that I felt were right about the broadcast. There were a couple of things that I did not like about the broadcast. But let's get into some of the positives first before we get into the negatives, which I'm sure many of you are looking forward to. Uh, we, we had Shane O'Mac back on this week. Uh, good promo work between him and Vince. Um, I think there was definitely a lot of great banter uh, between father and son. Vince is Vince is always going to step his game up on the road to WrestleMania. And Shane McMahon definitely look how has looks as he hasn't lost a beat. Uh, looked in good shape. Being in Chicago definitely helped. Uh, the segment was uh, closed out with some security guys uh, being sent to remove Shane from the ring. Uh, Shane McMahon worked uh, some strikes in there and dispatched the security guards. Definitely feel that the that the timing could have been better in that segment, but I think that the mic work itself was incredibly stellar. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing what Shane, you know what Shane McMahon is bringing to WrestleMania. Like I said, he looked in great shape. Uh, he's continuing to put up videos on social media as he trains for his match. Um, you know, I think I think it's going to be one of those situations where the match between Shane and the Undertaker is going to be either very very memorable or a match that you and I and many others are just going to want to forget. That's for damn sure. But again, I I felt that the promo work definitely was good to see between Vince and Shane. Another high note: Adrian Neville once again in a match with Kevin Owens, a great match uh, that was pretty much cemented as a match that many of us will never forget because it saw the return of Sami Zayn to Raw. Um, Again, really great matches between Owens and Neville, which obviously we know is going to be the case. Uh, He was going to go and attack Neville after the match, and of course Sami Zayn came out, crowd went fucking bananas, and um, there, there there was definitely just great storytelling there, masterful I felt that everything about the match was really good. And to see Sami Zayn back on Raw and the possibility of us seeing maybe Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens at WrestleMania was was definitely going to be is going to be something that I am look I'm gonna be looking forward to, that's for sure. <sighs> you know, I, I gotta I gotta switch gears a little bit and talk about something that really, really bugged me, and that's Brie Bella's match with Summer Rae. Again, Summer Rae comes up from NXT. Everybody talks that Summer Rae is a good wrestler, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what it was, but Brie Bella is fucking kryptonite out there. On top of the fact that Lana comes out like, you know, a chick that bought all her clothes on Junction Boulevard, New York reference, and um, she comes out there, attacks Brie Bella, and the crowd goes mild. Nobody gives a shit. There's a couple of reasons why that is. You had the opportunity to do so much with Lana, but the minute that you made her the focal point, the 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 crux for for a feuds between Rusev and countless superstars or Dolph Ziggler and countless superstars, it really watered down her character. Here you had this powerful manager that would come out, had the crowd in the palm of her hand, was, you know, capable of just delivering nuclear level heat when she came out relegated to being an object again or relegated to being fodder again 
and and the issue with that is that we're coming we're coming from uh you know matches with divas like Charlotte or Sasha Banks or Becky Lynch or Bailey, you know, we're we're going down we're going down that road. Even even Naomi to a point. You, you know, really solid matches and you're putting Lana in this situation. Um we don't know what type of ring experience she has, but the fact that you're building up a match between her and Brie Bella, who by far in my opinion is one of the worst wrestlers on the main roster, just shows how how directionless they are when it comes to the overall scope of the women's division. Outside of Sasha, Charlotte, and Becky Lynch, Creative has no clue what the fuck to do with the rest of the women's roster, the the, the main women's roster. I'm serious. I mean, again, Lana, pretty, easy on the eyes, solid manager, unknown in terms of wrestling, has a tremendous upside in terms of just being a manager. She, if if you're doing something with the League of Nations where you're looking for, you know, the European four horsemen, if you want to go that route, you know, she could play that Miss Elizabeth type role. You know, she could play that, that, that feet, you know, the role like woman in the four horsemen. I think the League of Nations as a stable is not terrible. They're, they, they are workable. There is some stuff you can do with them as a faction. The problem is that they, once again, you put them together and you really had no clear direction. One minute they're working for the authority, one minute they're not. One minute they're, you know, trying to take out John Cena, then they're trying to take out Kalisto. Now they're feuding with the New Day, which obviously is leading to a New Day face turn. But the fact remains that when you look at what you're doing with characters like Lana, who are integral to the group, because I'm serious, if you're going to do anything, with the League of Nations, Lana should be part of it. The fact is that, you know, it's it's just definitely not one of the better moments on Raw. It did nothing to make Brie Bella look good. It didn't make Lana look any better. And all it did was build up a match that none of us none of us are really giving a shit about. And I'm being honest. Another one of the high points on Raw was Dean fucking Ambrose. Dean Ambrose has stepped it up over the last couple of weeks. Uh, delivering not only stellar mic work, but also working very, very well with Triple H. Uh, definitely has to make management very, very nervous that the crowd is, re- is responding so well to Ambrose, even though Roman Reigns obviously is the chosen one in this scenario. For those of you that have been questioning Roman Reigns' broken nose, uh, it turns out that he had to actually have surgery for a deviated septum and that they used the opportunity uh, to quote unquote break his nose as a way to write him off so that he can have the surgery done on the deviated septum, according to uh, numerous websites that have been reporting that. Again, not a hundred percent sure that's the case, but I mean, you know, I, I've I've seen instances where they use real, you know, quote unquote real injuries to mask superstars taking time off to address certain procedures, whatever they may be. So who knows if that's the case. But in any in any event, uh, Dean Ambrose has taken the opportunity presented to him and he has ran with it. Uh, in terms of just having great work, great mic work with Triple H, uh, he's definitely been bringing a lot of really good physicality to the narrative. Um, I think the match between him and Triple H at Roadblock is going to be a memorable match. I think it's an opportunity for Dean Ambrose to showcase that he belongs in the main event. And I think the buildup for this match and how this match is going to play out 
is going to really raise Dean Ambrose's stock value in the company. I think um, it's something that is definitely uh, a good thing for Ambrose. What they do with him after that remains to be seen. Another thing I wanted to throw out there, um, definitely a high point, Naomi and Tamina taking on Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch. Um, I definitely feel Banks and Lynch, as always, great chemistry. Naomi just... Naomi's just missing that little something to bring her character together. As for Tamina, Tamina's beyond the point of redemption. Um, you know, Tamina's in a situation where she's got to either be in bodyguard duty or you got to, you have to send her down to NXT to, to, you know, reassess and, and, and repackage her character. I mean, if you can send Eve Marie down there who needs all the help she can get. You can send Tamina down there. Tamina needs work. Tamina cannot work a, 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 a decent match to save her life, and it's terrible to see. I mean, you're talking about the daughter of a Hall of Famer and Jimmy Superfly Snooker, um, an incredible athlete because she has a great presence about her. The problem is, and I've said this on countless shows, that she's, you know, she's a product of, of the old guard, and because of that, her wrestling is just shit you can you can pair her with whoever but if that wrestling isn't if if she can't even get the basics down it just doesn't work it really it really really doesn't um i just i just feel that tamina would be better served going down to nxt maybe for six months or more uh maybe getting a run with the nxt women's title just doing something to build up her character i you, you know you could send her down there and call up one of the one of the divas in NXT, but I think, I think, you know, Tamina needs to go down there and work on, you know, work on her craft because, and it's not, it's not her fault. It's, it's, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, she, she just came up out of a system that was flawed. And now that there's a better system in place, it's taking wrestlers like her, Brie Bella, um, you know, and, and, and so many others and just exposing all their weaknesses the other high point from monday night's broadcast was chris jericho's heel turn on aj styles many people were saying that it was done too quickly um that you didn't give y2 aj a chance to catch on but i'll I'll be honest aj styles and chris jericho had way too many great matches to put them in some makeshift tag team that wasn't going to get the titles I hate to say it, they weren't going to get the titles only because you're going to turn the New Day and they're the New Day are going to be working a program with the League of Nations. Um, Jericho's heel turn is something you would you can expect. I think that the rationale behind it was really good. I think that there was still um, you know some jealousy there, which they did a good job of acknowledging in the post-match interview. And who knows, I think this is going to lead to maybe Chris Jericho and AJ Styles at WrestleMania. And if that is going to be the case, I think it is a great stage for Jericho and for AJ. And I think it's an opportunity for AJ to really step up to that next level. And if anybody can help him break that, you know, you know, get up to that next level, it's definitely Chris Jericho. Uh, And of course, there's there's still, you know, the the looming uh, possibility of Bulletproof or WWE's version of the Bullet Club um, you know, aligning with AJ Styles as well. There's always that. And the possibility of Finn Balor even getting the call up to the main roster alongside uh, Guns and Gallows. 
we'll see if that's the case. But um, I had no problem with the Chris Jericho heel turn. Like I said, it was well done. Um, you know, Chris Jericho is a very, a very vain, very, uh, you know, a character that that's very proud. And the fact that he's been overshadowed by the quote unquote young rookie is, uh, is it's a nice, it's a nice bit of storytelling. I think that if you give those guys 20 minutes, 25 minutes on, on the grandest stage of them all, um, you're going to, we're going to get something special. So, um, I had, I had no problem with it. None whatsoever. Slick says, uh, the smart money would be to let Ambrose win Saturday and remake the WrestleMania main event. Unfortunately, what Triple H said in his promo is the 1000% truth. I'm going to hold this belt for as long as I want to. Here's, here's the thing, Slick. While I would love to see Ambrose win the belt and square off against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, unless you plan on turning Roman heel, face versus face is not going to work only because Roman Reigns isn't 100% a face. You know, people just boo the shit out of him. Um, as for Triple H, you know, Triple H is is trying to give Roman Reigns his WrestleMania moment. You know, dethroning the authority, uh, good triumphing over evil, etc., etc., etc. The only way that I can see that working, Ambrose, Ambrose is definitely a face, dude. Or a tweener, at least, but still a face. Ambrose is more of a face than Roman Reigns will ever be, dude. 100%. The only way that your scenario really, really, really works is if Ambrose wins, Reigns turns at WrestleMania and aligns with the authority. Which, again, they did it with with Rock and Austin, where where Austin ended up turning. I I could see that. Ambrose says... Ambrose is going to get the title, turn heel, and join the authority at WrestleMania. I don't know, man. That's that. You know what it is? Turning heel for, I mean, not turning heel, but aligning Ambrose with the authority at this stage is, is just honestly not the move. You're, you're taking a guy who's, you know, a crazy guy. What exactly is the incentive to align him with the authority? Now, if you look at it from a storyline perspective, there's more to gain for Roman Reigns to align with the authority than for Ambrose. And I'll tell you why. Before Seth Rollins went on the injured list, Rollins and Reigns and Ambrose were all involved. And, you know, they were they were feuding. Uh, Seth Rollins was the golden child. And obviously Reigns and Ambrose were were the opponents in this situation. Now, if you want to create a very good narrative, you're going to... Have Reigns and Ambrose at Mania. Crowd is cheering both guys. Ambrose wins. Roman goes to shake his hand. Hugs him. Ambrose is going on the turnbuckle to celebrate. Turns around into a Superman punch and a spear. Authority comes out. Reigns holds the title. Hands it to Triple H. They shake hands. Game, set, match. Now, in doing that, you create a couple of things. You create a bona fide feud for Seth Rollins when he comes back. By the way, Seth Rollins is uh, four months into his rehab and is already working in the ring. Just saying. Not only that, you also create the narrative where Dean Ambrose gets betrayed once again. And that leads to, you know, the, the betrayal angle. Number three, it allows Roman Reigns to work with the authority and build up his persona. Because as a face, Roman Reigns sucks. And it's not all his fault. 
it's it's creative as well. And the fact that we as wrestling fans are are smart, you know, we we know our shit. We're way too savvy, and it's a lot it's a lot harder to get over on most fans. I mean, some of us are jaded and we hate the shit for the sake of hating it, but some of us, you know, we 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 understand as well. Anyway, Val says even if Roman turns heel, it's not going to save him from being boring as fuck. This is true, but at least if you put reigns with the authority you're able to hide that weakness that is currently there and you're able to leverage that into something better again that's not saying that roman reigns at any point is is going to be better but i think it's an opportunity to let him work on a different aspect of his character and again ambrose being betrayed is a better story to tell than reigns being betrayed because again Ambrose aligning with the authority, even though it would be unexpected, it just doesn't feel like a natural progression for his character. If you're going to do anything with Ambrose, it's either you're going to make him a tweener that has no allegiance to anyone, a la Stone Cold Steve Austin, which is honestly the best way to book him, because booking him as a complete and total face, I just I just feel that the, that the shtick is going to get old very, very quickly versus booking him as the tweener and putting Roman Reigns in a suit with a little man bun, you know, coming out there, holding the belt, you know, talking real slow, borrowing a little bit of the rocks, you know, mannerisms and, and saying that, you know, you know, I finally realized what Seth was talking about that, you know, the only way to, to get ahead is to, is to succeed is to grow alongside the authority. You know, they believed in me they were giving me the opportunities that I was never going to get running around with you, you know, which is a, a great way to, to, to cut a promo on Dean Ambrose and just a great way to splinter that friendship. And of course, like I said, Rollins can come back and he could be like, hey, man, you know, I'm back, blah, blah, blah. And the authority could be like, yeah, you know, you, you got to earn your spot. And that can lead to a Rollins face turn and he can work a program with a face reigns. And I mean, with a heel reigns and it'll create something different. Not only that, but you're also able to allow Rollins to work as a face and expand that facet of his character as well. Again, this is all armchair booking from yours truly, but I just feel that if we are going to do anything, it's we're going to turn Roman if we're going to put the belt on Dean only if we're going to put the belt on Dean. If you're not going to put the belt on Dean Saturday night, then... You know, Reigns and and Triple H at WrestleMania is going to end with Roman Reigns getting his WrestleMania moment. Now, to to say what to go with what Val what Val said, you know, they could throw all of us a curveball and turn Ambrose, but I just I just don't see that happening right now. That's all I'm saying. The other thing I did want to talk about is and and again, this is something I'm just not really a, a fan of is what they're doing with Ryback. Um. Obviously, they're trying to build towards a program between Ryback and Kalisto, which I understand. I just feel that Ryback's promos continue to leave a lot to be desired. I think that the motivations behind the promos definitely are are interesting, you know, very Goldberg-esque. I just feel that they've damaged Ryback's character so much that he's he. it's going to be a long road to him becoming relevant again. Uh, you know, I've said it before, Ryback is one of those guys that needs a manager for the time being. Either that, or you need to let him cut 
more natural promos. I mean, when he was talking about reading the secret and being positive and overcoming adversity, those were really good promos, but that was because it was the real athlete talking. That's what I'm saying. You know, it was the real athlete talking and not, you know, Ryback reading off a cue card. Again, I'm not taking anything away from Ryback. I think that there was, you know, there's still hope for his character. I just feel that his promo work leaves so much to be desired. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting because you have a guy that if you book him properly, he can he can become, you know, he can become something really, really special. And again, Ryback, he definitely has certain tools in his arsenal that are capable of getting him to that level. Promo work is not one of them. Ryback looks the part. His wrestling, albeit robotic, albeit robotic, uh, definitely is, you know, it, it's, it's, it fits his character. It really does. Him lumbering around the ring and tossing dudes and hitting dudes with stiff clotheslines, you know, that's, that's a facet of his character that works. I have no problem with that. I just feel that his mic work is so damaged, especially when he's cutting promos that are written for him. And you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference between a promo that he had to memorize and something that came off the cuff, something that came naturally. If you watch Ryback's promos, you're pretty much able to pick and choose quite easily if you listen which promos are more natural, like more free-flowing, and which ones are essentially being read off a fucking cue card. And that's my problem. It's not Ryback the wrestler. It's Ryback the performer. He's got the look. He's got the tools. But the mic work leaves a lot to be desired. He is a guy that needs a manager, even if it's for at least a year, so that he can work on his craft and become a better wrestler. I mean, Taz had Bill Alfonso, and then after you took Bill Alfonso away, Taz was a pretty solid worker on the mic. Now, I'm not saying Ryback is going to be the next Taz, or but if you're going to build this guy as your monster, you need to, again, capitalize on his strengths and hide his weaknesses. If you're going to have him go out there and be a bulldozer, or a wrecking machine, a big badass, then don't even let him talk. Like, I like that he's been winning and hopping out of the ring and leaving really quick. I think that's that's definitely good for his character. It, it adds a little bit of mystery, but don't let him cut promos, please, because they are fucking terrible. And like I said, if you're going to let him cut a promo, let him be himself. Give him a, a, an outline and then let him cut a more natural promo. Because what he's been cutting lately is not good. Simple as that. I got to close out with something that I thought was very interesting. And it'll be my last thing with regards to Raw. I liked what they did with Ambrose and Bray Wyatt. Where Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family left Ambrose to Triple H. Um, And I like that Triple H had that little face-off with Dean Ambrose. Nice little bit of, uh, of foreshadowing. Or even a little bit of a tease there. Um... I think there's definitely potential to do something good with the Wyatts in that situation. You know, again, like I've said, you're talking if you want to, you know, take guys that are anti-authority, you know, anti-establishment, it's the Wyatts. And again, putting them in the quote-unquote henchman role like they did, you know, leaving Ambrose laying for Triple H to beat him up. Um it was it was interesting, but I think that the foreshadowing and the exchange between Triple H and Bray Wyatt definitely was something that you could not ignore. I, I definitely felt that there was a nice, nice subtle touch and a, and a nice way to close things out. Um, anyway, that's that's pretty much my breakdown of Raw. 
like I said, it wasn't a terrible show, had its fair share of rights and wrongs, some things I liked, some things I didn't. Anyway, with regards to the wrestling news, um, I do want to get into a couple of things. First off, Rhino is running for public office. This is not a joke. This is not a wrestling angle. This is legit. Terry Guerin, aka Rhino, is running for a seat in the at you know a, a seat on the Michigan House of Representatives in Dearborn. Um, obviously, there's there's uh, funny things that can be said about meetings taking place in the House of Representatives and Rhino goring anybody that opposes him. I mean, we can make all the jokes we want, but um, I think it's really cool. You know, he's active in on, on NXT and WWE. And uh, running for public office, you know, maybe, maybe he'll get elected. I think it's uh, it, it's a pretty cool story. I'm going to be keeping an eye on it very, very closely, and um, we'll see we'll see where it goes. We'll see if Rhino gets elected onto uh, the Michigan House of Representatives. I'll keep you guys posted as to developments with that story. Next bit of news, um, very, very heartbreaking. Uh, last week, I found out that um, uh, A.G. Azaki who many of you may know as Hayabusa uh, from FN- FMW, uh, wrestled in ECW as well. That was my first time that I was exposed to his work. Uh, passed away. He had a uh, uh, subarachnoid hemorrhage. He was 47 years old. Uh, really saddened about, about the passing of this superstar. Uh, I first learned about Hayabusa watching him and Jinsei Shinzaki, who was Hakushi in WWF, Square off against Rob Van Dam and Sabu in ECW. I was I was impressed at at you know the agility, the way the guy looked, his mask, uh, everything about him. Of course, uh, his finisher, the Phoenix Splash, everything about him, uh, which led to me looking for lots of FMW DVDs. I, I have a ton of them that I ended up picking up at my local Coconuts, which later became Fye, and. Um, you know, I was I was really excited to to see so many matches, and I was heartbroken when he hurt himself uh, in 2001. Uh, he slipped off the off the top rope while attempting a springboard moonsault, and he landed on his head and was paralyzed. Um, I was heartbroken when that happened. Uh, he ended up retiring. FMW, as a result, lost you know it lost steam, folded. Um, he sung, you know, he did some singing. He appeared at a couple of events. Uh, including some stuff with Dragon Gate. And uh, it was crazy because last year he was able to stand up and walk to the ring under his own power, which was really cool. He received a uh, ceremonial 10 count and he reopened FMW and he put uh, Hideki Takahashi and Choden Senshi, uh, Battle Ranger, uh, in charge of the organization. Um, you know, it was definitely a resurgence for the Flying Phoenix, but alas, you know, he was taken from us wrestling fans due to the uh, subarachnoid hemorrhage. Again, 47 years old. I was really bummed out when I read it. Like I said, I got a ton of FMW DVDs upstairs. I actually was going to bring them down so I can show some of them to you guys. Not play them, but just show uh, how obscure that stuff was. Uh, if you want to see some of his matches, do yourselves a favor. Go on YouTube. Uh, like I said, punch in Hayabusa versus Jinsei Shinzaki taking on uh, Sabu and Rob Van Dam. Not sure if that match is on the WWE Network. It might be. I know I have that match on an old ECW DVD. And um, again, an awesome match. Uh, Really, really awesome to see uh, Hayabusa and Jinsei Shinzaki mix it up 
with uh, Rob Van Dam and the homicidal, suicidal, genocidal Sabu in ECW. But again, uh, definitely some other great matches uh, between Hayabusa and many others on countless FMW DVDs. You can probably find them on eBay or uh, look for the matches on YouTube. If there's any matches in particular you want to know about, let me know. You know, I may, I may be able to, you know, send send some people some copies so they can check it out. Uh, maybe do some trading. But again, uh, really sad to hear about the passing of Hayabusa. Uh, like I said, YouTube, check it out, see some of his great matches. I actually think that I wrote way back in the MyTakeRadio.com days. I believe I wrote a piece on Hayabusa as well, uh, where I was sharing some of my favorite matches. Uh, I actually think it may have been a pick 10 on aerial maneuvers as well. And I think I acknowledged the Phoenix splash on there. Uh, I'm going to try and look that up. If that's the case, I will put links to that in the show notes. Of course, uh, the big news item this week is Hulk Hogan and his ongoing lawsuit with Gawker. Uh, Lots of testimony, lots of stuff flying back and forth between Hogan and his legal team and Gawker as well due to Gawker releasing footage of the Hulk Hogan sex tape. Uh, Of course, you guys remember that Hulk Hogan had sex with Bubba the Love Sponge's wife and was videotaped in secret. And of course, the videotape was uh, stolen or leaked, depending on who you ask. And Gawker published some some video from that. And Hogan, of course, uh, definitely trying to sue uh, Gawker and trying to make sure that that tape does not see the light of day. Uh, that situation led to, you know, obviously the destruction of the friendship between Bubba and Hogan, which many of you know, uh, Bubba the Love Sponge was a close friend of Hogan's, going to TNA with Hogan, participating in countless events, etc., etc., etc. I mean, it's a tough situation. I talked about this way back when, when the story first broke, but... um you know, if, if, if Hulk Hogan was legitimately videotaped without his consent, um, you know, it just, it just shows what type of a quote unquote friend, uh, above the love sponge was, but I gotta be honest too. I mean, Hogan, your, your buddy's wife wants to have sex with you and your buddy is okay with that. Something definitely has to be rotten. You know, you didn't think that was odd. And on top of that, did, you know, if if you were having sex with the guy's wife, did you not think that maybe he might be watching somewhere? I mean, people are into that shit, you know, the cuckolding shit. They're into that. So just a just a really terrible situation, a destruction of a friendship, um, a, a huge violation of privacy, and of course, many many jokes at Hogan's expense <laughs> that have been made as of late. But um, we'll see what happens, man. I know that uh, Hogan. From what I've heard, I believe Bubba the Love Sponge was going to testify and he was going to plead the fifth, which obviously is um, it shows it shows where 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 Bubba the Love Sponge is, uh, uh, where his bread is buttered, so to speak. Uh, Many people are saying and many websites are reporting that Bubba the Love Sponge has taken the fifth as to not uh, perjure himself, which they're saying he had already done in a previous uh, inquiry. Don't know how legitimate that is, but again, um, some of the stuff that has been circulating about the Hogan trial, um, I've been watching it, you know, monitoring it casually, but once I get some, some more, you know, noteworthy information, I will definitely share it with you guys. Uh, two last news stories to wrap things up. Uh, first and foremost, uh, PW Insider reported that WrestleMania 32's magazine got out 
and it actually revealed the two remaining WWE Hall of Fame inductees for this year. Um, if you don't want to know and you want to be surprised, definitely fast forward. Uh, three, two, one. All right, spoiler time. Uh, the section revealed that Jacqueline Moore, Miss Jackie, was is going into the WWE Hall of Fame, as is Stan Hansen. Of course, they joined Sting, the Fabulous Freebirds, the Godfather, and the recently announced Big Boss Man as well for the WWE Class of 2016. Again, uh, definitely pumped to see Miss Jacqueline go in there. I think she was a very underrated women's performer and um, you know women's wrestler, and I think that uh, she's definitely a welcome addition. Stan Hansen, I mean, you're talking about a guy whose career goes back decades, and He's 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 wrestled and feuded with a who's who of of wrestlers. And I think that, you know, it's it's very cool to see Hanson go in there. Um, looking forward to seeing those announcements on Raw in the coming weeks. But again, PW Insider is reporting that the two induct remaining inductees are Jacqueline Moore and Stan Hansen. All right. To wrap things up, of course, we got WWE roadblock this weekend as of right now. The matches on deck are Dean Ambrose and Triple H for the heavyweight title. Uh, Sheamus and King Barrett will be taking on the New Day tag team title match. The NXT tag team titles will be up for grabs as Enzo and Colin Cassidy will take on Dash and Dawson. And Brock Lesnar is squaring off against Bray Wyatt. Uh, that's going to be 8 p.m. on the WWE Network. Not sure if they're going to add any additional matches on SmackDown this week. But as of right now, the matches are... Ambrose and Triple H for the uh, World Heavyweight title. The tag team titles are on the line with uh, the League of Nations and the New Day. And the NXT tag team titles with um, Dash and Dawson taking on Colin Cassidy and Enzo Amore. And like I said, Brock Lesnar and Bray Wyatt. I'm going to throw out some picks. Um, Lesnar and Wyatt, as much as I would like Bray Wyatt to get over on the beast, I definitely feel that Brock Lesnar will be the victor. Not sure what this leads to with Brock Lesnar and WrestleMania. Perhaps a rematch. Who knows? Maybe a tag match against the Wyatt family. But I am looking forward to seeing the Beast and Bray Wyatt mix it up. I think there's uh, the potential to have a pretty solid match for both performers. Um, Definitely a match that I feel is more worthy of WrestleMania. But I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach with regards to the bigger picture. My pick, like I said, Brock Lesnar in that match. Uh, NXT tag team title match, Enzo Amore, Colin Cassidy taking on Dash and Dawson. I, I really like Dash and Dawson in terms of just being a throwback tag team uh, in a similar style to the Brain Busters, and um, it really works. They tell a really good story in there. They have great tag team offense, but I think this is going to be the opportunity for uh, Enzo and Big Cass to get over and win the belts. I think it's a great opportunity for them to use the title win as a springboard to the main roster. I think Enzo is an incredible performer in terms of his mic work, and Colin Cassidy definitely has a bright future, not only in tag team action, but also as a singles competitor. I am going with new champs on this one, Enzo and Big Cass winning the belts at WWE Roadblock. The tag team titles, uh, the match between the New Day and the League of Nations, which is going to be Sheamus and King Barrett, while I think it would be cool to do the upset and have the League of Nations steal the belts, I think that the match is going to end in controversy and is obviously going to lead to a rematch with the New Day at WrestleMania. 
and probably a New Day face turn when they when those guys come out for that match at WrestleMania when it comes up. We shall see what happens, but as of right now, I am going with the New Day retaining and possibly setting up a rematch at Mania. Lastly, World Heavyweight title match, Dean Ambrose, Triple H. As much as I would love Dean Ambrose to be the, the to play spoiler and win the title and go on to face his brother, Roman Reigns, at WrestleMania, I think we are going with the uh, proverbial WrestleMania moment. We're going to give Roman Reigns the confetti and the pyro, and we're going to dethrone the authority with Shane O'Mac defeating The Undertaker and Roman Reigns capturing the belt from Triple H. It is a good way to take the power from the authority as a whole and usher in a new era in the WWE. We'll see if that's the case, but I definitely see Triple H walking out of roadblock still champion. All right, those picks are going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. I've given you my take on MMA and wrestling on this episode of My Take Radio. I would always love to hear yours. Feel free to hit us up on social media. You can find My Take Radio on Twitter at My Take Radio. You can also find RageWorks on Twitter as well, Rage underscore works. You can become a fan on our RageWorks fan page, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. You can also find RageWorks on Snapchat, Instagram, Pinterest, and many other social media outlets. Feel free to reach out, hit us up. Always love to talk wrestling, MMA, gaming, movies with with the listeners and fans so definitely feel free to reach out if you are interested in being a guest on a future episode of my take radio you can email me mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net you can also use the contact us form on rageworks.net as well if you have any feedback questions or concerns you can always utilize either one of those emails or the contact form on rageworks.net if you'd like to advertise on My Take Radio or any of our other shows on the RageWorks Network, you can fill out the form on RageWorks.net and let us know what type of advertising you are looking for, uh, whether it's on air, on the site, etc. Feel free to reach out via that medium. Last but not least, this episode and previous episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio in audio format. Be on the lookout for our debut on Google Play and Spotify, which is happening sooner rather than later. Of course, once I get an official start date for that stuff, I will let you guys know. Uh, Video versions of this show are available in 24 to 48 hours, and you can find them on YouTube on our two YouTube channels, My Take Radio TV and Official Rageworks. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. Uh, My Take Radio's YouTube channel, My Take Radio TV, is only MTR episodes, and the Rageworks YouTube channel is all of our event coverage, episodes of MTR, unboxings, reviews, etc. So if you're a fan of all of that extra content, definitely subscribe to our RageWorks channel. All right, guys. Thank you guys for tuning into this MMA and wrestling edition of MTR. I will see you guys for Thursday night's uh, gaming and entertainment edition of the show. And that's going to wrap it up. I will see you guys later. Thank you guys for tuning in. I out of here. Peace.